and welcome to Population Health Plugin, a show highlighting current public health topics in our community and things of interest to students across the university. My name is Elena Kidd, and I'm a program manager in the Office of Public Health Practice at the UAB School of Public Health. Today, we are joined by Dr. Susan Wally. Dr. Wally is a professor of pediatrics at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and a pediatric hospitalist at Children's of Alabama. This is actually Dr. Wally's second time in the studio for a population health plug-in. We interviewed her back in spring 2018 when she spoke about vaping and electronic cigarettes and their impact on public health. Since that time, and here very recently, there has been a lot in the news about the health effects from vaping, and we wanted to invite her back to talk in the studio about some of the recent developments. So thank you, Dr. Wally, for being here today and taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with us again. Thanks for having me, Elena. So within the last month, there have been over 500 cases of severe lung injury reported from 38 states and seven deaths confirmed in six states that have been linked to the use of e-cigarette products or vaping, and that's according to the CDC's website on September 19th. The CDC and FDA are now investigating these deaths and illnesses. Have these products been investigated before, or is this a reaction to this outbreak? So I think it's really important for listeners to keep in mind that there has always been uh, strong concerns about the health effects of e-cigarettes even before this recent outbreak of very severe um, lung damage related to vaping. As you mentioned, there have been several deaths, and we feel that this is really just the tip of the iceberg when we think about what the health effects of these products are. So just to kind of give a little background for the listeners, e-cigarettes are also known as uh, vape devices, also known by different brand names such as Juul and Soren are handheld devices that are battery operated. They take a liquid, oftentimes known as an e-liquid, and aerosolize this uh, liquid that contains things like nicotine, as well as other toxicants that include formaldehyde, acrolein, things that we know are harmful to human health. So these products are used by millions of high school students at this point, and that is where many child health advocates and public health experts, such as yourself, have some strong concerns. So although these reports of pulmonary injuries and deaths are of great concern, I think that the broader question, particularly for public health, is some of the other health effects. And then with the recent deaths, what happened to some of the symptoms of this outbreak and how serious had they been? Sure. Um, when we talk about the reports of pulmonary injury and deaths related to vaping, the CDC has a case definition. And that includes that there is a patient that has vaped and used an e-cigarette, those are synonymous terms, within the last 90 days, that they have findings of pulmonary infiltrates or basically opacities on imaging, whether that's a chest x-ray or a CAT scan. Also, that there's no other uh, obvious cause of this pulmonary damage. When um, we look at the patients that have thus far been investigated, and we're still talking, you know, although there have been hundreds, you know, this investigation is ongoing and it's still very early. The majority of patients have respiratory symptoms. So they have coughing, they have chest pain, they have shortness of breath. Many of the patients, in fact, most of the patients 
also have uh, gastrointestinal symptoms, so nausea and vomiting. And then most of them also have constitutional symptoms. So that means that they have fever, they have, um, they feel tired and weak. So the CDC and the FDA, the Centers uh, for Disease Control and Prevention, and the Food and Drug Administration have announced a health advisory uh, for the public and for um, you know healthcare providers that we need to be aware and screening patients for vaping when we encounter patients that have symptoms that match what I just mentioned. For vaping products, do they always know that Juul is a vaping product, or what are some of the challenges in identifying whether they're using a vaping product or not? Yeah, absolutely. I think that is a really good point, um, that many young youth and even adults don't recognize the wide variety of e-cigarette products. And so when we talk about things like Juul, that is an e-cigarette. Juul, just to kind of talk about that product um, briefly, is uh, over 70% of the market share when we talk about e-cigarettes. And all Juul products have a very high concentration of nicotine. In one of the tiny Juul pods, a Juul is a, what we call a pod-based e-cigarette. So you use a, um, a pod that you insert into the device, and then youth call it juuling. So instead of saying vaping or using an e-cigarette product, they say that they would be juuling. One of those pods is equivalent to 41 milligrams of nicotine. So if you smoke a pack of cigarettes, which is 20 cigarettes, a pack is equal to 20 cigarettes, you're going to absorb about one milligram of nicotine from each cigarette. So you can see that, you know, the Juul product has a very, very high level of nicotine. And that makes us really concerned because we know that adolescents and children in their teenage years are very prone to nicotine addiction, much more so than, you know, somebody who's in their middle age and, you know, start using a Juul product. So we are very concerned, as I said, that, you know, not only do we know about these pulmonary injuries um, occurring with e-cigarette products, there's so many other health effects that we're worried about, and one of those is nicotine addiction. And I know that you mentioned that the investigation is still ongoing, and officials are still trying to figure out the specific causes of the lung injuries with the recent outbreak. But from the interviews conducted so far, the majority of cases report the use of e-cigarette products containing THC, which is the primary active ingredient in marijuana. And New York is actually focusing their investigation on a vitamin E additive. What are common additives in vaping products and what do we know about their health impacts? Yeah, I think that, um, again, this investigation, you know, really highlights what we don't know about e-cigarettes. Unfortunately, we as in uh, regulatory agencies do not know what are truly in any of the e-cigarette products. And the reason for that is that the Food and Drug Administration that oversees e-cigarettes as well as other tobacco products has not fully exerted its regulatory authority. And so what that means is that any e-cigarette product, they can um, you know, put a label on their product and that may or may not be true. We do know, though, that e-cigarette users are adding 
additional things to their e-cigarette liquid that is above and beyond what the e-cigarette manufacturers um, have advertised. But at this point, we don't know what the cause of these pulmonary injuries are. E-cigarette companies will commonly advertise and label their products as containing nicotine, uh, humectants, which include vegetable glycerin and propylene glycol, and flavors. So at this point, it may be that those products, those um, components of e-cigarettes could be you know, part of, you know, what is related to these pulmonary injuries, or it could be some of these other additives that include THC. You've just touched on it, but how do these additives get into vaping products? Are they in products sold legally? You mentioned that sometimes people add things in after they buy them. Are there any other ways that those additives get into, or any other ways that people can purchase e-vaping or vaping products with that type of additive in it? Um, Yeah. So, you know, again, I think that Uh, It is very important for us to all remember that all of these products technically are sold without any type of regulation uh, because the Food and Drug Administration has yet to um, exert their regulatory authority. Uh, So when you purchase a product from a gas station or on the internet or at a vape store, these products have not been subject to any type of regulatory authority at this point. Uh, There are customers that have been reported to add other additives, including THC, to the products. Um, And this is something that uh, we know is going on and the FDA is currently investigating. But recently, the American Academy of Pediatrics, as well as other child experts, won a lawsuit that uh, basically ruled in the favor of public health that the Food and Drug Administration, that the FDA was not uh, exerting their authority over e-cigarette products. And so what that has done, or what that will do, by May of 2020, e-cigarette manufacturers will have to submit a pre-market application for all of their products, or they would have to pull their product from the market. As I was researching for this podcast, I learned that Michigan and New York have banned flavored e-liquids. What's the rationale for this ban? So um, we know that the majority of teenagers and young adults are using flavored products, um, which those flavored, you know, what we call characterizing flavors are flavors that come in a variety of flavors, about 15,000 in all. That include things like Sour Patch Kids, uh, Vanilla Wafer, um, Death by Chocolate, flavors that we know are intentionally targeting our teenagers. In fact, we know that that's working because the 2019 recent national data is that 27%, one in four high school students, are currently using e-cigarette products. And that number has jumped dramatically from when we first started, um, you know, surveying uh, high school students. And so at this point, e-cigarettes are the most common tobacco product that are used by our youth today. And I think that's another really important point to stress that since the vast majority of e-cigarettes contain nicotine, And the only commercially available way 
to obtain nicotine is the tobacco plant that all of these products under the Food and Drug Administration, under the FDA, are considered tobacco products. But getting back to flavored bans, the reason that flavors were removed from conventional cigarettes in 2009 was that we know that flavors entice kids to use these products. And so you think about regular cigarettes, conventional cigarettes, they are only available in you know, traditional tobacco as well as menthol. Again, we know that the majority of teens are using flavored e-cigarette products, and that is intentional uh, in terms of e-cigarette products, you know, directly targeting um, with their marketing and their advertising uh, to our children. I didn't even realize that regular tobacco packets have flavors before 2009. That's right. I and so a lot of people don't remember that. They yeah. would ban that in e-cigarettes and vaping when it had already been banned in regular cigarettes. I That's right. Um, cigarettes are unfortunately available in menthol flavor. And I think that, you know, for your audience uh, who are public health experts, I think that's important to know because the cigarette um, big tobacco companies have for decades intentionally targeted the African-American population with menthol cigarettes. Mm -hmm. And so we don't, of course, want to see that same targeting and some of these huge health disparities that we know that we have in Alabama and across the country. And so child health advocates, uh, including the American Academy of Pediatrics, are advocating that all characterizing flavors, including mint and menthol, are banned from e-cigarettes. Well, thank you so much for being here. This podcast is certainly timely, and we appreciate you answering these questions for our listeners and subscribers. If there's any more developments, I hope we can call on you again for another podcast. Absolutely. And thank you for listening. Please tune in next time for another episode of Population Health Plugin. 